Welcome to the Toronto Beer Podcast with me, Chris Schreier, and my wonderful co-host, Mandy Murphy. Hello. Hey, Mandy. So this is our first podcast, and, uh, you know, technological problems of the last 26 minutes notwithstanding, I'm pretty stoked. Me too. <laughs> uh, so for those of you who don't know, uh, I am the writer over at torontobeerblog.com where I write about beer and junk and stuff that goes on in the city surrounding beer. Mandy, on the other hand, is sort of on the other side of the equation. Mandy is uh, co-owner, co-founder of Left Field Brewery. Brewery or Brewing Co? Brewery. Left Field Brewery. Brewery so, Inc., but we prefer not to use the ink. Yeah, don't dip your pen in the company ink. Is that what they say? Something like that. I think that's what they say. Uh, so I approached Mandy like, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. And um, actually, this, I approached Mandy drunk a couple of weeks ago because I was too nervous to ask her in person or sober uh, to do this podcast with me. And she has kindly said yes. So uh, that's that's why it's the two of us. I, I think this is going to be a really neat pairing because I think we're going to bring two really interesting voices to the, uh, the equation. I think it'll be interesting for people to listen into the random conversations that you and I tend to have. So I'm looking forward to it, too. I wonder if we're actually going to get to the end of our show notes because of that. But we'll see. So uh, diving right in. So we're supposed to be talking about who we are. And I think we've kind of done that. Let me, let's do this. Let's um, let's let's interview each other. I think that will be um, compelling. So I'm going to go Sounds first. Like fun. In, I'm going to interview it. you. Uh, so how long have you been involved in the beverage alcohol industry? Oh man, on the spot. Um, let's see. I probably have been in the beverage alcohol industry since, I'm going to say somewhere around 2010, I think. Okay. So about five years. So really not that long. Yeah. No, you're, you're a baby. I think I've been writing a blog for about five years. That's, that's crazy. It's always talk. been about beer. Yep. I didn't yep, know that you has. had been writing it for that long. Look, we're learning things about each other already. Look at that. I'm, I'm making stuff up right now. It might only be four years. I'm not <laughs> sure. I've kind of lost track. It feels like it's been a long time. That's the point. Uh, okay. You uh, co-founded Left Field Brewery with a guy you know, I'd say pretty well, right? Yeah, we're, we're sort of uh, sort of know each other pretty well, I guess. You know each other biblically. <laughs> <laughs> Mandy started left field with her husband, Mark. How long have you and Mark been married? Now you're really putting me on the spot. I haven't asked you the (laughs) date of your anniversary or anything. It'll be, uh, thank goodness. Uh, It'll be seven years uh, this August. What day in August? (laughs) So you're asking me my anniversary. No. uh, I just want to know. Maybe I'll send you a card. Mark and I have known each other, been together since 2001. So a a very, very long time. That is a long time. That's quite a long time. Uh, okay. Fun fact, we actually met uh, first year university. We lived two doors down from each other. We discovered that we were both from the same hometown and we were living away. And hmm. uh, we b- initially joked that we based our relationship on geographical convenience. Nice. And what was that hometown? Brampton. Oh, you guys are both from Brampton. How about that? And yeah. where were you going to school? Where was away? Uh, Brock University. Where's the, I don't know where Brock. I didn't do the in university Saint, thing. In, so in St. Catharines. 
Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Right on. Uh, and yeah. so Mark was doing like finance or like accounting thing, right? Accounting. Yep. Super boring. And you, yeah, easy. Okay. You know, <laughs> bringing on the bacon. What were you doing? I was a communications major. What? Communications. Ah, major. that was so good. Ah, hilarious. Because ah, it's communication. Okay, your turn. You got to interview me now. I think I'm, I'm done, by the way. That's all I needed to know about you. Oh, no, wait. Uh, left field. So how, <laughs> it was how long? It's completely <laughs> about my relationship with Mark. That's great. <laughs> and what school you went to. Amazing. Uh, uh, how long? How long? Left fields? When did that? I rem- Actually, I should know this because I have a photo of the chalkboard in your house that said left field brewery when me and Mark were just homebrewing together. And I had, I had no idea he was still with Molson. That would have been late 2012 or early 2013 when you took that photo. We uh, sold our first keg in March of 2013. So a little over two years now. Cool. And and of course, yeah. you know, I would hope at this point people listening would know. Um, but just in case they didn't, you are located physically where? The closest intersection would be Greenwood and Gerrard. So we're in Toronto's East End, technically in the Leslieville neighborhood. Um, I was just looking for like... You know, something Wagstaff. Oh, it's at 36 Wagstaff Drive. We're in the northeast corner of Leslieville. Boom. Physical brewery. Congratulations, kids. Thanks. Yeah. Okay, now it's your turn. I think we. I think now we've covered off the bases. Yeah, I think so, too. So, Chris, how long have you been a beer guy? Mm. Well, that's an interesting question that has a you know, many-faceted answer. Uh, as discussed, I've been writing a blog for years, I don't know, four or five years or so. Um, I actually started that blog, not so much because I was interested in beer, but because when I do occasionally make money um, to add to my family's financial picture, it's generally doing web development. And I wanted to start messing around with WordPress as a content management system. And I thought the best way of doing that would be to start a blog. And I had to write about something I kind of knew about. So I chose beer because at that point I was working at Castro's Lounge. Um, and I'd gotten to know a lot of the beer kind of scene people. So I thought it was a cool thing to do. Um, and it was funny because I was using it as like a testing ground. So anytime I wanted to try something new, I would try it on the blog. And often that would, you know, not have good <laughs> results. It would break. Um, and so, but that was great. It was a really good testing ground, except then after about um, three months, um, I actually had people reading the blog. And so when I would break it and not be able to fix it for like a day, people would actually message me and tell me, Oh dude, the blog's down. And I'd be like, yeah, uh, yeah, I knew that actually I'm not even trying to fix it right now. And so I had to come up with a new solution and actually start tending to the blog, which was nice. I did a redesign on it at that point and actually kind of buckled down and, uh, sought out some opinions and started to write better. But, uh, you know, my beer kind of connection goes even further back. Cause like I say, I was working at Castor's lounge, which is a pretty cool beer bar. But even before that, uh, my background's in cooking. So I've always been, I always say like, I've always been a taster. Um, I always like consider what I'm consuming. So I've been interested in, in better beer and drinking good beer since like my late teens, really early twenties. And what started that off? What, uh, what got you into beer to begin with? Well, actually, it's funny. I grew up in Scarborough and I would go to these parties and um, people would be drinking like Black Label, which I don't recommend. And partially because of teenage insecurity, um, 
I wanted to appear, you know, refined and different. Um, and partially because it's a form of protectionism where if you drink something really unusual, people generally won't take it. So you can safely kind of put it in the fridge and not have to worry about it. So I actually started drinking Moosehead. Um, and, and I, like, I even have trouble saying it. Um, Alexander Keith's India Pale Ale. And, uh, which is funny cause I'm drinking an IPA right now and it tastes different, but, uh, I was drinking those because none of my friends would touch them. And I kind of, as, as hoped carved out this, uh, this, this reputation as being like, oh yeah, he's the guy who drinks like the fancy beer. Cause they just wanted stuff that was cheap and cold and got them drunk. So that's, that's really where it started was with, uh, with Moosehead and Keith's. So that's where I started. Beer snob from the very beginning. Mm. Yeah, and founded in what most good snobbery is founded in, which is insecurity and a desire to appear more important <laughs> than you are. <laughs> Next question. That doesn't sound familiar at all. <laughs> no, not even not even a little. I don't know who I'm talking about right now. All right. Next question. Maybe you could tell us a little bit more about some of your other beer ventures because you seem to get uh, get around in the beer world. And I know you've worked on some other interesting things. So what are some of the more um, fun or interesting beer related things you've done? Uh, I think prob- probably for me, the coolest or most interesting um, was all the stuff that I've done uh, with uh, Fred on the edge, which is pretty wild. Um, so that kind of was born. We, we would do these beer breaks if people listening don't know. Um, they're sort of on hiatus right now, but, uh, we're, we're, we're talking, we're talking about trying to bring it back now on the morning show. But, uh, it, it started Canada day, like 2012, maybe, or 2013. Um, I did a, a post of places that you could buy beer on the holiday which of course is all breweries because the LCB on the beer store are closed, but a whole whack of breweries would be open. So I made this really cool list and I thought, man, I'm terrible at self-promotion, but I'm going to actually self-promote a little and I'm going to um, send an email to like every major radio DJ in the city. Cause I know they all have like blogs and Twitter and stuff and just be like, Hey, I'm not looking for airtime, but you know, do you want to tweet this or stick it on your blog or whatever? And, uh, I got, you know, effectively no response from like 98% of the emails I sent out. And I got a couple of like, yeah, that was cool. Thanks. Good link. But, uh, Fred messaged me right back and was like, Hey man, that's, that's a great article. And you really sound like, you know, about beer. Like, do you want to come in? And, so I said, yeah, and I was all terrified and stuff, but I went in and we had a really good time talking and he said, do you want to come in again next week? And I said, yep. So I was, I was keen and showed up with beer. And so we did it two weeks. And he said at that point, um, yeah, his program manager was down with it, really liked the, uh, liked the, what we were doing. So he said, keep coming out. So for like, I think a year and a half, every pretty well, every Friday, um, we would do a break on the radio, which was really cool because we were able to give, um, a lot of really good exposure to really small breweries who, I mean, definitely couldn't afford, say, like the marketing budget that you would need to advertise on a station that size. And uh, and as well, I, I actually got to watch Fred kind of uh, grow in his tastes and, uh, and, and really become like a craft beer advocate, which is pretty cool. And he's still doing it. Um, if you listen to him, you know, he'll often reference some of the stuff he's been into, which is pretty cool. So that was really yeah. wild. That was a fantastic, uh, fantastic segment. I remember when you you featured one of our beers on on the the beer break, and I remember getting phone calls and emails and tweets, and it was just a flurry of activity that day because it was the type of exposure we we wouldn't have otherwise had. It was really 
really cool. And I remember listening actually every Friday on my drive home from work. I was commuting in from Mississauga at the time, uh, commuting into Toronto. And I remember listening to, to Fred sort of explore beer as well and grow every week. It was pretty cool. Next question. Next question. Mm, I don't know. What else do I have here? I don't know. We can move on if you want. Yeah, I don't know. Unless there's something else you want to get in there. <laughs> Things people should know about me. I'm what wearing. What else should people know about you? I'm you wearing socks beard. right now. <laughs> Thank you. I like my beard too. Mark, uh, Mandy's husband was um, trying to grow his beard long, but he didn't have it. He couldn't do it. So he's he's gone back to a true Oh, beard. I beg to differ. <laughs> I would beg to differ on that. He had a quite a long beard. Quite a long beard. It's nothing compared to a Chris Schreier beard, but it was really getting up there. And uh, was that he like promised that he promised he what? Promised that the beard would be shaved. That um, once we started brewing in our own brewery, or once we opened the doors to the brewery, so it was it was a little bit of a of a vague promise because we started brewing in February, but we did these pop up shops throughout March and April. And uh, he he didn't make it to the end of April before he he shaved off the beard. It was getting pretty warm in the pretty warm in the brewery, and I don't think he was willing to stick it out throughout the summer. So he just took the pop up shops as the doors are open, even though we weren't fully fully open. Um, so it was a little bit ambiguous. But he's he, he had no Chris Schreier beard, but it was pretty long. Yeah, it's all relative, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I never I never really went beard to beard with him, but uh, you know. He was getting a bit of a billy goat going. Okay, show notes say, what are we drinking? I noticed that you were drinking what I'm going to guess. Can I guess? Oh, please do. Yeah. I'm going to guess that that was a Sinha Stout because it was dark. No, it's an interesting guess, but uh, not correct. Would you like another another shot at it? Yeah. Uh, Trois Musketeers, uh, Baltique Porter. And incorrect. Hmm. Well, I'm all out of dark beers. I I don't know. It's not a guess. You just have the two. You just have the two. Uh, no, I'm actually drinking a Jackie Brown American Brown Ale by Block 3. Actually, that's really funny because I just assumed it was an Ephus, but there you go. No way. Can't drink your own beer all the time. It's just uh, <laughs> one of the brewers happened to, to pop by the brewery on the weekend. Uh, it was complete chaos, and I didn't even get the chance really to say hello, but he was kind enough to leave some beers behind for us. And so that's what I brought home with me tonight. That does sound fantastic. I'm trying to think. I always it's delicious. I always I always get block three and beyond the pale confused. Beyond the pale's Ottawa block three is like St. Jacob's or whatever. Yeah, that's right. They're on St. Jacob's. I haven't actually been out there yet. They're supposed to have a fantastic place, but uh, haven't made the trek. And St. Jacob's is such a cool place, too. So really want to get out there. Yeah, I've, I've heard the exact same thing, actually. Um, and, and I'm in the same boat. I've never been out and uh, I, w- I would dearly like to go. I think I think I had something there at a festival and I was, you know, I was, I was going to say pleasantly surprised. That's not quite the right word. I was pleased with it. It was good beer. So that's good. Yeah, I've OK, really you have to guess what I'm having. Everything I've had. Uh, yeah. we're no longer do, do you want a hint? Chad, I can't even remember what color it was. Give me a hint. Yeah. Okay. Um, I I'm gonna give you eight guesses. Eight is a lot, so I have to narrow it down somehow. Is it an Ontario beer? 
it is. The number of guesses was a hint, though. Oh. Uh, it's hazy, but it's not a wheat beer. Stephen Beaumont would want it to be clear. More clues. But, <laughs> um, um, brewery of the year, two years in a row. That's Great Lakes beer. Yes, it's a Great Lakes beer. We're on our way. And you're giving me eight guesses. Eight guesses. I don't want to get in a fight about this. <laughs> you're eight. It's Octopus Wants to Fight IPA. Ah, ha, See, eight awesome. guesses. It's delicious. Yeah, it's very, very good. I still I have a thrust um, for later in the show which is um, my all-time favorite IPA of theirs. But uh, the octopus is a pretty good one. I'm not going to lie. It's pretty juicy. Thanks, Mike Lackey. That's a good beer. Well, that's fun. Do you have something on deck? See, look at me on the baseball tonight. This is amazing. Are you just doing that on account of me? I don't think I am. I think it's subconscious. So Uh, do you have something on deck, though? Yeah, I have a couple of options. Um... I actually have two block three beers here in front of me. Um, so the other is there is their brown ale. I probably should have gone in the other direction, start with the, the least hoppy beer and moved along to the American brown ale. It just sounded so delicious. So I started there. Mm. I know how that is. Um, I also have a uh, whole, whole leaf or something like that, Saison from Amsterdam, which uh, I'm pretty stoked on. I've had... Um, I think 12 of them so far. They're pretty delicious. Not tonight. I haven't had 12 tonight. 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 <laughs> yeah, that, that would explain our technological difficulties earlier in the night. I it's just all can't, coming together. I can't connect. We had some trouble connecting, but we've got it sorted out now. Surprisingly, thanks to Facebook, of all places, is providing our audio link up tonight. So this I'm going to dedicate this first inaugural episode to Mark Zuckerberg, who uh, I bet uh, he's in California. He probably drinks some pretty good beer. That he's listening to us right now. <laughs> I assume you mean like on this podcast, as in like everybody else listening to it right now. But you might actually mean like right now as we're recording, and that—that's exactly what I meant. Yeah, that's that's possible. I'll put that out there, Zuck. If you're listening in right now. I want you to make my lights flicker. No, nothing. I don't think, no. So just, either just either he's keeping it low or or he's not listening. So that's okay. Well, it's for Mark Zuckerberg tonight anyway. And and I'm going to jump ahead in the show notes here um, because that's a really good segue into uh, the tasting that I'm doing uh, this weekend uh, at Castro's. Assuming, I was going to say, assuming this goes out in time, if this doesn't go out in time, I'm just going to edit this part out. So I'm going to pretend like it's going out in time and say, I'm doing a tasting of Californian beers at Castro's Lounge this Saturday at 3.30 p.m. And I'm actually pretty stoked for this one. Um, I've had, 
Well, actually, <laughs> I just found out today that two of the beers I was kind of banking on getting, I'm not getting. Um, and that's sort of the difficulty dealing with Californian beers. But I'm going to make it work. I'm going to figure some stuff out. But uh, at least one of them I've, I've never had before. So that's exciting. That's um, the Anderson Valley Hilch O'Hops Double IPA. So uh, I've got that sitting in a box in my room right now. So that's going to be pretty cool. Um, you, you say you've been to uh, California for beer-related shenanigans. Is that so? I have. I was very, very lucky a few years back to get the opportunity to go to the uh, the Craft Brewers Conference. It was my first Craft Brewers Conference um, in San Francisco, and it was an eye-opening, absolutely incredible, insane experience. Uh, at the time, I was working for the wine company that, that, I, that I was with. It's now Constellation Brands, but at the time, it was Vincor. And as part of my portfolio, I was managing a cider brand. And I made a case uh, as part of my training and development plan that cider and craft beer were pretty much interchangeable and uh, that as part of my development and training, I should be sent to this craft beer conference <laughs> with uh, with my husband, who at the time was in brewing school. So um, wasn't that big of a secret that we were we were hoping to go somewhere with craft beer. And yeah, I was sent out to the conference as part of my part of my job. And San Francisco was incredible it was amazing i'd actually never been uh to the west coast of the u.s and beer was just it was something there that i had never experienced here and there were some amazing there were some awesome things going on in beer here in ontario but um, just to visit places like the Toronado pub and 21st amendment and um, some of the beers you got to taste at the conference it was it was incredible was there like one beer that to this day kind of was like a high watermark. Oh, that's really funny. I might've just used a word from the show notes, but anyway. Um, yeah, actually <laughs> the, the beer that really stands out of my mind at the time, I was actually just, just starting to really get into craft beer. And, uh, I really loved sour beers. I love more fruit forward beers and I was really into dark beers uh, but I hadn't really ventured too much into different Belgian styles. And for me, 21st Amendment's Monk's Blood was life-changing. It was it was incredible. Um, I got to taste some really cool stuff by Russian River. Um, I ha- was able to drink Pliny the Elder fresh. And it was, oh my goodness, it was amazing. And some of these beers were just, they were styles that I hadn't really experienced before. Because I was sort of that, that new to craft beer. Uh, and it gave me a whole new idea about what, beer could beer could taste like and a whole new appreciation for beer it was amazing that's crazy i think i went to california when i was like an infant and i haven't been back since so no craft beer from california for chris that said i do enjoy the californian beers that are available in the province you know sierra nevada yeah there are some fantastic examples can you uh can you divulge any of the other beers that will be included in the tasting or is it a surprise Nope, I can do that. It's it's on Facebook. So, you know, thanks for checking the event. I invited you to earlier today that I, you know, took 15 minutes out of my busy schedule to put together. That's uh, that's nice. This is honestly my first time in front of the computer since you sent it. <sighs> okay. Anyway. Uh, on, yeah, or yeah, I'll, so, I'll just check it out if you don't want to tell. <laughs> yeah, we should. Yeah. No, I think we're okay. Um, Hilch O'Hops, that's the Anderson Valley I mentioned, which uh, looks promising. Double IPA. Um, so stoked for that. Uh, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, which of course is a, uh, that's, that's like a, that's a foundation. That's a, a bedrock kind of beer. And, uh, I've had a variety of times, so that's, that's good, but we'll have that. 
Um, and then another two uh, that it, I was saying to a guy actually on Facebook today that, you know, these aren't beers that are necessarily going to kind of blow the minds of, you know, the, uh, the, the indoctrinated or the, the converts like ourselves. But they're really important beers, I think, for people sort of outside of the sort of, you know, really dedicated experience to have. So that's um, Anchor Brewing, uh, both the Steam Beer and the Liberty Ale. Um, you know, Steam has such a huge, you know, interesting story attached to it with the history. And, uh, I mean, the history of the brewery specifically and also the history of brewing uh, in, in California. And uh, Liberty is maybe a little bit less noteworthy, but no no less delicious. And, and also, I mean, Liberty was one of the early sort of American-style IPAs. So it's got some pretty significant stuff. But I don't want to give away too much here because you can come Saturday 3.30 p.m. Caster's Lounge. It's 30 bucks. You get six samples. And the other two, uh, I'm not even going to say what I thought they were going to be because I don't want people to be like, oh, I wish it was those things. But if you know what's happening with California beers in Ontario right now, you can probably guess. Um, but we're going to figure it out. It might end up, I might kind of end up having to cheat and maybe do like a Californian influence beer or something like that. But we'll we'll get two pretty cool beers to fill it out. So six awesome beers, 30 bucks. And it's funny, I, I unlike some tastings that I've done, I actually encourage sharing. So if you want to come out with a friend and just split the, the beers, hey, go ahead. I'm down with that. I like having more people and more chatter and not, not so concerned about who drinks what. So, so come on out. No RSVP necessary. Just show up and we'll drink some beer. So Mandy, are you going to come? That sounds like a really good time. I'd like to get out there. I'll be working one of our, uh, I'll be working the retail shop at the, at the brewery, or actually I should say, I'll be working the, the bottle shop and the tap room at the brewery. Um, but if I could sneak away, I'd love to. Yeah. That, that was good use of, um, you know, properly branded terms. I like that. I knew you couldn't come by the way. I knew you were busy. You so I was just the, trying to make you feel you guilty. You just cut the error. I, uh, I've been, Hammering it into everyone's heads. It's not a retail. It's bottle shop and tap room. Uh, and then I mess it up. Bottle shop and tap room. What, uh, what's the inspiration behind that? Well, so, I mean, I'm, I'm not being critical at all here. I'm, I am a word guy. I think words are very important and I nitpick, uh, with, with people with words. So I'm not nitpicking you here. Okay. I'm actually just curious. I do the, I do the very same thing. So we were on a, we were doing a, a canning day with Sessions Craft Canning recently. And on the bottom of the cans, you print, your date code, right? Like packaged on. Um, but I hate the word packaged on. It just, I don't know, it's not corporate, but for, there's something about it to me that the word packaged on, it just sounds, I don't know, it just sounds like corporate language to me. It's it's canned. What are we doing? We're canning the beer. That's the everyday hmm. language for it. And yeah. so instead of writing packaged on, I had them change the date coder to canned on. And it's a minor, minor detail. Nobody in the entire world cares about that except for me. Um, but we, we changed it, and then I think a few of the other Sessions Craft Canadian clients have since changed it as well, uh, because it's just more natural everyday speak. And for me, the retail shop just doesn't, I don't know, it's just unnecessary uh, jargon, and I it's a, it's a bottle shop and a tap room, and that's what we want to call it. So I think it's all about consistency and yeah. finding the right words that fit your, I don't know, your personality. Yeah, and I mean, it's not like you called it like, home base or something like that <laughs> no and the one of the weirdest things is it's a i call it a bottle shop but um some people might think that's kind of crazy because most of what we sell is actually cans out of the brewery so we're not even selling bottles at all uh, i just like the casual sounding language of bottle shop instead of retail i think bottle shop as well is sort of um 
it, it, you know, alludes to the more kind of privatized model. Like people in BC talk about, you know, I'm going to go to the bottle shop, you know, that's, that's sort of normal language. And so I think it, even though, like you say, I mean, it's cans, but you do sell some bottles and they're beautiful bottles. They're handy if a burglar breaks in because they're large and heavy. Yeah, I haven't had to do that yet, but uh, thankfully I haven't had to do that yet. Um, but yeah, we, we like them very much and we're excited to be using them. They're pretty and the 750 milliliters is a nice size for sharing. So, And they're swing tops, which has this really nice Dutch appeal. Instead of calling them growlers, you should find out a baseball player who was Dutch and name them after that guy. His name's probably Dirk. Mm. We did a, uh, a collaboration with a guy named Dirk. Yeah, not that Dirk. You know that very well. You were there that day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was too. That's right. That was that was he'd foreshadowing. Probably want to charge us a, yeah, he'd probably want to charge us a licensing fee or something on the name. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's Dutch though. Dirk Hayhurst, if you're listening, you want to go ahead and uh, just tweet at me. I'm at Chris Schreier on Twitter. Uh, you let me know. You got some Dutch in your background? I uh, I got a Dutch name. I'm, I don't. I married that name, but uh, maybe you do. I don't know. Hayhurst doesn't have a very Dutch sound uh, to it to me. If it was like Van Hayhurst, yeah. that maybe would be Dutch, but Hayhurst, I don't think. I don't think he's Dutch. I was just thinking like, uh, I, I don't know, Dirk just sounded Dutch to me. So, uh, Speaking of <laughs> baseball names, you guys have been posting some pretty cute pictures uh, on, on the, on the Instagram, which is what the kids are using these days. I'm told they're not, they use Snapchat, but anyway, um, because you guys are getting a dog. We are. Do you want to talk about a dog? Uh, Most people wouldn't know that because uh, we haven't actually announced the the Instagram account aside for the one uh, beer dinner that we, we had done down at the Kaylee cottage. We shared the Instagram account with everyone who was there. Um, So our dog has an Instagram account or the dog we will soon be adopting has an Instagram account and he officially has nine followers as of now. Um, I'm one of them. The account is at left field Wrigley and Wrigley will be the new puppy that joins us at the brewery um, toward the end of June. So we're anxiously awaiting his arrival and we're anxiously awaiting our, uh, it's called a pick and play where you get to go and hang out with the litter of puppies and choose yours. Um, so you haven't actually yeah, even chosen the puppy yet. We haven't. No. Oh, I've never gotten a dog yeah. from a breeder. I don't know how this stuff works, but I, I, have, I just assumed you I. knew which one was Wrigley. Like you, you, like you could go and point to him right now. Oh, that's him right there. Yeah. He's got the little spot on his eye. No, we have not. I posted two photos. So there's one of the litter and then there's another one of Wrigley's dad. And that's all we have. Cause we haven't, we haven't actually selected him yet, but there's a, uh, there's five pups to choose from and we get first pick of the litter and the type of dog that we're getting is a basset hound. So we've always been a sucker for hound dogs and I think he'd make a cute mascot. And just realistically being in Leslieville, you, uh, you either have babies or you have puppies. And so uh, a baby isn't really uh, something we can incorporate into our lives right now, running a busy brewery, but I think uh, we can make a puppy work and we're pretty excited to bring the little fella into the brewery to be our mascot. I got to tell you, we, I mean, we, we actually share a bit of history because we both own beagles and, uh, our beagle experience, you know, we loved our beagle. You, you always love your dogs and stuff, but when he was gone, that was pretty much us done with hound dogs. So 
I'm very impressed that you guys, my wife thinks you're crazy actually, but that you guys have gone ahead and gotten another hound. I mean, Bassets are, are very different temper, temperament than, than beagles. They're less high strung and you know, they're, they're more docile in my experience, but, um, but I, I think it's fantastic. And his father is adorable. And if he's, you know, half that droopy, he's going to look like a cartoon character. And then you're going to stick a dumb little hat on him and make him look even more cute. It'll be fantastic gonna be great we're pretty we're pretty excited about it and we had we didn't have a it wasn't a purebred beagle we had a beagle basset cross oh that's what my sister it has didn't come without it uh it didn't come without his, her share of issues um she was uh mark and i walked dogs at the humane society and university um because we weren't able to actually have a dog room and we came across this beagle basset cross who was just adorable um but she was previously a stray dog and didn't come without her share of issues so we said the same thing, actually, and now we're here. Here we are a couple of years later adopting another hound dog. Um, but it should be a good time. So because I'm going to guess that, you know, everybody listening out there maybe hasn't had a hound, let me tell you a little story about hound dogs. So we had this uh, beagle. He was called Boston, and he was cute. I'll give him that. Um, actually, Erica, my wife, thinks the only reason why beagles have, you know, continued to exist as a species is because they are, you know, really, really cute. They have these like sad, chocolatey brown eyes and these like ridiculously outsized noses, and they're really sweet. Um, but they're obnoxious and self-centered. Um, and you know, people talk about how cats are assholes, but like beagles could teach cats a lesson, I think. So, for instance, one day. Uh, we, had, we were actually, I think my buddy was living with us at the time. Anyway, my best friend was around and we were having dinner and we were making pita pizzas. And if you've never had a pita pizza, pita pizza, I, I will say you should be eating pita pizzas. They're wonderful. And you know, you can make yours your way. You, you don't want pineapple on there. That's cool. You don't put pineapple on. It's yours. Make it however you want. But anyway, we were eating pita pizzas and they were delicious. And, uh, when I make pizzas, I'm, I'm a bit of a, a hipster. People who know me know this, but uh, I'm, I'm a purist. So the pizza oven has to be as hot as humanly possible, which is, you know, normally like five or 550 degrees Fahrenheit. It's pretty hot. And so we'd put these pizzas in, these pita pizzas. And, uh, you know, they've got a lot of cheese on them. Cheese is like, I mean, cheese is like edible napalm, really, when it's hot. So pizzas come out of the oven. And uh, my buddy, he wasn't used to the dog at all. And he had a dog um, growing up who was this Border Collie. And, you know, Border Collies, they're smart and uh, they love you and uh, they want to do good for you. They don't want you to hate them. Uh, Beagles have none of that. They, uh, they might love you, but that'll be based on, you know, them getting stuff from you. So he wasn't used to this kind of dog. And uh, so he set down his plate. So this is the timeline. You know, here's me. I pull the pita pizzas out of the oven. I put it on a plate. I hand it to Andrew. Andrew walks to the living room. You know, the the pita's probably been out of the oven at this point, maybe eight or nine seconds. And uh, he set the plate down on the coffee table. And Boston, the beagle, just grabbed one of the pita pizzas and like started trying to eat it. So for one, you know, the pita pizza way too big physically for him to eat. He's going to have to pull it apart because it's too big for him to swallow. Add to that that it's just come out of a 550 degree Fahrenheit oven. So it's probably, if it's not 550 itself, it's pretty close, right? Um, and, and it's topped with cheese, which is quite sticky at that temperature. Um, but he went for it and, and, and he didn't drop it. In fact, I think when he realized how much damage it was going to do to his body, he decided just to try and get it down faster. And so 
And and on top of that, my buddy Andrew's yelling at him, like swearing at him, calling him out, you know, for taking the pita pizza. Because I think Andrew was pretty excited about eating it. Um, but while Boston was trying to choke down this large piece of food that he couldn't physically fit down that was literally blistering the inside of his mouth and throat, he was yelping like he was being hit because it was hurting him so bad. But he didn't drop it because he really wanted the pita pizza. So he ate the whole thing. And then he was really sad for about a day and a half. And we just laughed at him. We were like, no, you're an asshole. You deserve that. Andrew doesn't forgive you for that. He still hasn't. Andrew, my buddy, still has not forgiven that dog for eating that pizza like nine years ago. He's still angry. This, this, <laughs> this hound dog moment brought to you by the Toronto Humane Society, full of pit bulls and hound dogs that nobody wants. <laughs> so... But they're just so cute. <laughs> I can't. I can't tell you how many moments like that we had with Spice, uh, who's our Beagle Basset cross. Entire like whole chickens, whole cakes, a tub of margarine. She learned to open the fridge so she could get more tubs of margarine. She she would just eat everything in sight. But at the end of the day, they're just so cute, and those eyes and those ears, they'll get you every time. My sister's Basset ate four pounds of margarine one time. Which begs the question, what the hell are you doing with four pounds of margarine in your fridge? That, I mean, that's just me. I'm a butter guy, but yeah, that's she a, ate four pounds. <laughs> that's a lot. That's a lot of hydrogenated vegetable oil in one location. I'm already having sort of nightmares or some panics around Wrigley getting into spent grain or dry grain or, or garbage at the brewery or yeast. And so we'll need to take some extra precautions to make sure he's not getting into those areas of the space of the space because that could be a real nightmare you guys should get a cat too you could have a cat and a dog yeah we would love we would love a cat we were sort of all cat people at the brewery as well so i wouldn't hmm. uh i wouldn't rule it out but for now wrigley's gonna be the star of the show that's amazing what would you name a cat would you name it juicy fruit <laughs> funny <laughs> reference but probably probably not i'm sure we'd come up with something great I don't know. I don't have a name on the top of my head. <laughs> Juicy fruit. That was amazing. Okay. Talk to the, uh, talk to the listeners at home. I have to go get a beer. I'd like to go get a beer too. How did I get stuck doing this? Hi guys. This is Chris Schreier from TorontoBeerBlog.com. And I'm about to drink a thrust IPA from Great Lakes Brewery. This is a fantastic beer. As I mentioned earlier in the show, probably my favorite IPA from the Great Lakes Brewing Company. No, pardon me, just Great Lakes Brewery. I always do that. I always want them to be the Great Lakes Brewing Company, but they're not. That's not their name. Let's call them by their name. I like this beer a lot. For a long time, Karma Citra was my favorite IPA from the Great Lakes Brewery, but Thrust has surpassed that. It's it's a fantastic beer. Uh, made with the sort of steady hand that you get uh, only from Great Lakes. Mike Lackey is something of a hop savant. I would call him a hop savant, and uh, he's fantastic. Sounds like Mandy's coming back now. Let's see what she has to say on this matter. What are you talking about? The Great Lakes Brewery. How fantastic they're off Yeah, I just called Mike Lackey a hop savant. I would agree. Yeah, I like that. Oh, this is a problem. That this I don't have a stand for my microphone, and I can't pour this beer one-handed. 
Otherwise, it'll be like 90% head. Okay, I'm going to set down my microphone for a minute. There will be a disgusting thud. Mandy, why don't you fill us in on what you've just gotten out of your fridge? Sure thing. I'm uh, drinking another beer by Block 3. This one is Sugarbush Brown Ale. And haven't even had a little smell yet, so let me give it one. Does, do they think it's maple syrup? Why else would they call it sugar bush? It's got to have maple syrup in it. Unless they're alluding to what I'm alluding to, in which case, well, you know, that's never going to get approved by the LCBO. Have you found out yet? There's got to be maple syrup in that beer if it's called sugar bush. Can't find it. Hmm. Hey, block three. The only thing that matters is that it's quite delicious. Block three brewery. If you're listening, and I hope you are, because at this point, I'm fully going to tag you in this post when I share it. Why don't you weigh in on Twitter? I'm at Chris Schreier at Twitter, and you can let us know. Does the Sugarbush Brown, did you say it was a brown ale? It is. Yeah. Sugarbush Brown Ale, does that have maple syrup in it? And if it doesn't, why call it Sugarbush? Is it to make me go, teehee? Did you hear when I was ranting that I'm having a thrust and I did this whole sort of monologue about how it's my favorite, but Karma Citra used to be, but then now it's not because Thrust is. Did you hear that? Uh, no, I didn't hear that. I missed it. Well, I've just, I've, I've basically brought you up to speed, so that's good. It's funny because that's I'm about great. to segue into summer events and what we're looking forward to, but if I may, just segue, or not segue, uh, um, sidebar for a moment, um, and I'm going to tie summer events in with a Karma Citra story which is great. And, and, and I'm just going to forge ahead and assume you've, you know, mentally said yes, and we'll go from there. So, uh, do you remember Mandy when the IPA challenge at Volo, um, was like a multi-day event? Um, you would do like kind of two or three days of tasting. Do you remember that? I do actually. It would, uh, there'd be a spring event and then the finale would be in the fall at cask days. And the spring event would take place, I think, over a couple of days on the patio at Volo. Yep, that's the one I'm talking about. So this was a couple of years ago. And um, it's blind. This is part of the thing. If, if you've never done this, listening at home, um, it's, it's a lot of fun. I'm not going to lie. And it's difficult, though, to, you know, do all the IPAs. Because I think, that, like, the year I'm thinking of, I think there was, like, 32. That's a lot of IPA. And so I did it in two days and I did 16 beers each day. And uh, I'm not um, like BJCP or anything like that. But, uh, you know, I've I certainly drink a lot of beer. And uh, so I, I like scoring that sort of thing sometimes. So I was doing it with uh, some, I was trying to be pretty intentional about it. And the first day was fine. And, and the thing is, so it's blind, but you know what beers are in, but you don't know what you're drinking, if that makes sense, you know. So I knew Karma Citra was in there. And, uh, and, and I was a pretty big fan of it, not going to lie. And then, I mean, I know, I, you know, there are a variety of breweries. You can kind of, you can kind of pick them for different reasons. So you kind of, sometimes you know what you're drinking. But anyway, first day, 16 beers goes by. It was great. You know, had a good time. And uh, second day, I'm, I'm marking and it's going really well. You know, probably like beer nine or 10 maybe. And uh, the reality is you're sort of, even if you're doing it subconsciously, you're sort of marking on a, not quite on a bell, but You've set sort of a standard point, standard deviation point, I think is the term I've just decided to call it. Anyway, and then um, some drinking and everything's going fine. And then I, I had this glass 
and I, I didn't even taste it. I sniffed it and I was like, oh, that's Karma Citra. And I took a sip and I was like, oh my God, that's so good. And then all of a sudden what I realized was I was going to have to alter all the scores that I'd already done and knock them down by a couple of points. Otherwise I was going to have to like, just give Karma Citra full marks. And I try not to do that. I try and always leave a little space at the top. And so I actually had to mark down the previous beers I'd done to give space to be able to mark Karma Citra on the same scale. So that's how much I like Karma Citra. And that was at a summer event, uh, which are coming up now. The IPA challenge has, wait, has that, that hasn't already happened, has it? No. So now the IPA challenge takes place at Cask Days. They, at Cask they changed days. the whole thing. Yeah, yeah there's right. no longer the, the spring event. And yep. so it allows you to, to because what would happen really is uh, in the spring, uh, the breweries would, would brew a, an entire batch or, or a small batch um, of the IPA they wanted to enter. And then you would need to re-brew the beer in the fall. And so it wasn't yeah. exactly, it wasn't exactly fair because you weren't really comparing apples to apples. The beer that you'd be evaluating in the fall um, as part of the final four or final 16 or whatever it was. Um, was wasn't really from the same batch that was what was brewed in the spring. So, so now the uh, the entire thing takes place at Cask Days in October. Yep, I remember the original take on it was it was uh, it was supposed to coincide with March Madness because it was uh, they did it as a knockout. So it wasn't the top scoring beers necessarily. For the first couple of rounds it was one on one, and so beers would kind of knock other beers out, and it meant sometimes there were some not just upsets, but. You know, you could get two really top beers in one category early and one would get knocked out, even if it would have gotten marked through just on straight top scores. So it was an interesting format. Um, anyway, summer events. Um, I know you guys obviously take part in a lot of um, summer events. And uh, I'm not asking, you know, sort of favorite in terms of from a, a brewery's point of view, but you personally, what are, what are, what's an event you really like doing or really like going to or whatever? Well, with the amount with the amount of events that we do, because it, it was at the point in the past couple of years where we were we were just about doing an event almost every single weekend from spring through fall, and so naturally there are some that you just you love going to, and others that are are great, but they're not as much really your scene. Yeah. Uh, some of the ones that I love personally are the the Beach Barbecue and Brews Fest. It's just something we've been going to living in the area. Uh, for many, many years as a as an attendee. And so it was pretty cool to get behind the other side of the booth a couple of years back. Actually, the first day we were behind the booth, you volunteered, Chris, and you worked at our booth. That was one of our very first events. Um, and you were one of our very first volunteers helping out. So that was kind of cool. I remember. Uh, well, that's that's one how of our I got my first left field shirt. <laughs> yeah, that's one of our that's one of our most favorite events. It's like, um, it's just a a good standard rib fest, but the the setting is pretty pretty great because it's down at the beach. Um, for us, it's close to home. It's a family friendly atmosphere. It's really relaxed. Uh, the Sunday usually ends up being Father's Day, and so everyone's out with their dad, tasting different craft beers. It's a lot of fun. So that's one that we always we really look forward to that every year, and it's just an event we hope to always be part of. Um, I actually yeah, I love that festival too because uh, it, you know at the moment we're not living in the beach um, we're actually moving back shortly hopefully but uh, that was an event that we could walk to 
which for a craft beer event was, that's a pretty big deal that I could, I could walk to the event. And so we would walk the kids over, you know, in the strollers and it's great. Like my, my boy Ben can't get near the lake without actually getting in it. So we would just wear like boardies and stuff and we would normally show up soaking wet and covered in sand and just hang out and dry out. And especially now, um, you know, in early years, uh, and not for anything they were doing wrong, but just the way legislation was, they had to have the beer garden. But now mm-hmm. they fence it in and the whole thing's licensed. And so you can get your beer and just walk around and see the other the vendors and talk to the rib guys and stuff like that. It's, it's a pretty cool atmosphere. And it's funny, I mean, for the area, it's it's just, it's not something you get any other way. It's a really cool event. I like it a lot. And we'll be back, you know, hanging out this year for sure. I love it. The other thing that I love about that event is that uh, it's, it's not just a craft, it's not really a craft beer event. There's craft beer at the event, but it's really about the music and the, the park itself and the neighborhood and the food. And so it, it's kind of cool that it, it's also a craft beer event and people who wouldn't otherwise be attending beer festivals sort of come out to that one. And uh, they're really just there like for the ribs and the food and the music. Uh, and by chance, they end up getting the opportunity to try all these great craft beers. And I think I think it's one of those events that really opens people's eyes to craft beer who wouldn't necessarily otherwise be exploring it. So I, I love it for that reason, too. Yeah, totally. I remember, like, as you say, I, I worked the, the booth with you guys that one shift. And, you know, you get a lot of the guys who come up and are you know, like, well, what do you have that tastes like blue? <laughs> like, well, not really anything. But why don't you try this? Uh, this is Ephus. It's you know, with your smoky, delicious ribs. Probably going to work pretty well. What do you think? And you can kind of... Instead, if you go instead of like trying to be like, we have this thing that's just like that thing that you like, but instead go in and be like, we have nothing even remotely like what you like, but we have these other things and you probably never tried them before. Have a try. And, you know, you always get guys who are like, well, either like, A, that's not beer. I don't like that. Or like, oh, that's, I don't know what that is, but that's actually not bad. And it's pretty cool to see people kind of, you know, you know, have their, their eyes opened or their palates opened where, you know, it's an interesting way to reach people. Like you say, I, I think it's a pretty cool event. I love too that. I mean, so if you don't know it, it's run by the, the people who do Toronto festival of beer, um, and it's Toronto festival of beer spring session and so on and so forth. And, uh, they're very open and obviously supportive of, of sort of craft brewing and the craft beer scene. Um, but certainly if you go to Toronto Festival of Beer, it, it's just beer, period, you know. So everybody's there. And, you know, the guys who have a lot of money and, uh, you know, a lot of people <laughs> certainly can kind of pull up the tractor trailers and unload the pop-up beach volleyball um, set, you know, complete with, you know, smoke show bikini-clad women to play beach volleyball. Um but you don't get that at the, the the beach barbecue and beer fest. It's it's much more chill, uh, a lot more laid back, and uh, I yeah I think it's really cool. So I'm personally looking forward uh, again, and it's funny this one because I know there are some people kind of moaning about it, but I really dug um, session last year at Young and Dundas. A lot of people thought it was too public or too central or difficult or I don't know what the, all the complaints were, but I thought. For as an attendee, it was a fantastic, fantastic event, and uh, it's a great time of year. I remember. I think part of it is I remember the year that it was at Witchwood Barns, and it rained, and it was so gross and sweaty and humid and sticky, and I was just miserable. Um, last it year, was, at the end of this. that was that was miserable. On on the other side of the booth, I could tell you that was miserable as well. It was so hot and so miserable just because of the heat and the humidity. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't have terribly fond memories of that, just because of the weather. 
I think that was probably my least favorite beer event that I've probably ever been to. And I thought when I was leaving the house, it was, it had just stopped raining. Like, and it had rained. It had been like, like torrential kind of downpour. And I thought, well, when it rains like that, you know, the temperature drops. I mean, it doesn't get cold, but you know, it was like 30, 11 or something before I went out. I thought, well, it'll be, you know, down into the twenties. And, uh, but it'll be muddy and I don't want mud all up my legs. So I thought, oh, I'll just wear a pair of jeans and a pair of shoes. Um, big mistake. Cause you know, you get there and it's still, it's maybe hotter except now the ground is saturated. And so the sun's beating down. So all this water is evaporating. So on top of the fact that you're sweating like mad and it's like 100% relative humidity, you also have like water evaporating out of the soil directly up your pant legs. So it was like, yeah, I was just sweaty and gross. It was horrible. But the beers were good, so that was nice. And like I say, Young and Dundas last year, it was during the World Cup, so we went up and watched one of the matches between the sessions, and I, I really liked it. I also, pleasingly, um, photobombed a picture of Tom Green showing a photo he took that I photobombed, which uh, I felt pretty proud of. That was that was a bucket list thing for me. That could be pretty satisfying, I would think. Yeah, I'm... I'm pretty happy with that photo, actually. And his response too, when he realized what I'd done, he was he was impressed. I think he's he's he can be a bit hard to read, um, but he seemed pretty impressed. So I was pretty happy with that. What else are you guys up to that you're stoked for this summer? You know, we're not doing as many festivals and events this year as we've done in previous years. There are a lot to choose from. Uh, there are a ton of festivals and events to choose from, and many on sort of overlapping weekends. One that we just we would never ever miss that I I love and I wish I have the would have the opportunity to be on the other side of the booth for it um, would be the the Roundhouse Craft Beer Fest uh, that Steam Whistle puts on. It's all OCB breweries. Uh, it's in Roundhouse Park, right right outside of Steam Whistle, in, like at the Roundhouse, uh, and it is just such a it's such a great place for a beer festival. I guess I I would say that because it's right next door to the the Sky Dome. Uh, and you get the pre-game and the post-game crowd that come by. Um, we usually do some sort of a bobblehead swap, so it always ends up being on a bobblehead weekend on the Sunday. And uh, we'll get people to come over from the game and bring us a bo- bring us a bobblehead and we'll give you a t-shirt or something. Uh, we have a really good time with it. It's just such a good crowd, a good venue. And Steam Whistle, the team down there is awesome. And they put on, they put on a really, really well-organized festival if you're looking at it from a, I guess, from our side of the booth. Uh, they take really good care of the the vendors and they make sure everyone has a really good time. Can I make a rather embarrassing confession here? What's that? You've never I, been. I was just going to say, I've, have you ever? I've never been. been. Never been. Oh, I love Steam Whistle. I love Steam Whistle. I work with them a lot on, on stuff. We do, you know, I promote stuff for them because they do really good events. And I've promoted the festival, um, both the winter and summer ones. I've never been. Um, there's just, there's been scheduling conflicts and... Um, I think, I think I was sick this year for the winter one. I can't remember, but I've never made it. I've, I go to the Oktoberfest. I love that. Um, they've got their 15th anniversary coming up, which is going to be pretty exciting. I'm going to go dig that and, and I'm going to, you know, try and make the summer festival, but I, uh, I must confess I've never actually made it to one of those and everybody talks about how amazing they are. So I, 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 you know, I should, but it hasn't happened yet. So 2015, summer 2015, I'm going to go to the Roundhouse Craft Beer Festival and soak it up. I'm going to love it, I bet. So that'll be good. Um, yeah, you've got to do it. You, you would love it. They always have great musical acts and there's a good selection of food trucks and 
there's something about it and I don't I can't quite place what it is or, or why it's this way but it's such a relaxed atmosphere it's a really really good crowd can I, I'm going to hijack my own uh, point here because, um, strictly it. speaking, this isn't a summer event, but I, what I love about this one is I love it and I know you love it and I know that we're going to be at it together. I hope this year, which is Bose Oktoberfest. We would not, I, I would not miss that event after going to it once. I would, I'll never miss it again. It is such a good time. The Bose people really, really know what they're doing and they, they just put on a great show. If Mark said the puppy can't be left alone, it's it's pissing all over the house, and uh, um, I don't know, it's 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 flappy face is full of spit, and I have to keep cleaning it every ten minutes. We can't go to Oktoberfest. Would you just say that's fine? I'm just going to roll out there with Schreier. Sure. Yeah, it's sort of a tradition now, isn't that what we do? It's a good time. Yeah. Last I year, miss it. no, absolutely not. Last year, I went out um, as I have for I think three years in a row, and um, camped. You got to camp. I know. So this is part of it. Bose does this amazing job. You can get shuttle buses from Montreal, Cornwall, or Ottawa, which means that you can stay in dignified, respectable hotels that you know probably have showers and uh, amenities. But you can camp right next to the festival for free which is beneficial in two very different ways. On the one hand, you don't have like a 40 minute school bus ride with varying, but predominantly very drunk people. Um, you can just walk to where you're sleeping, which is a bonus. And, and, and you guys and, and me have got the code cracked where you actually just sleep in your vehicle. Don't worry about a tent. Your vehicle is watertight. Just sleep in that. And then the other thing is, um, because it's so close, you can do things like I did, which is, you know, head back for a nap. You know, that mid, mid-afternoon mid nap is clutch. Or like last year, it was kind of rainy, kind of gray. I wasn't kind of feeling it at the end of the first night. And But I kind of, I really wanted to hear Joel Plaskett. Um, but uh, I didn't really want to be in the crowd. So I just walked back to my car and lay down and cracked the sunroof and listened to the whole set from my car, which was still only maybe 400 meters from the stage, which was fantastic. So it's if you are thinking about traveling to an event, because you do have to travel unless you live sort of in the Ottawa area, you know, people say, oh, go to Mondial. Yeah, I mean, you're going to drink a lot of cool beers or whatever, you know, or maybe go to like upstate New York. No, 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 no go to Bo's Oktoberfest. It is far and away one of the most fantastic weekends you're going to have drinking beer um, in, in the province, I think. And, and I know you guys do too. So that's, that's fantastic. Now that I've hijacked it, not a summer event. That's, that's not until the first weekend in October, but uh, I, I go and I will continue to go. It's amazing. So yeah, it's on the must do list for us every, every year for events. And the, the, the best thing about that uh, from my side of it is we don't, it's not work. We we're just attending as uh, as guests, and it's it's a lo- it's a lot of fun. It's really fun being on the other side of the booth, pouring beers, talking to people, sharing your products, sharing your brand. Uh, but going to Bose Oktoberfest, you get to see it from the other side, and you can really appreciate having been on the other side of the booth. Um, just the amount of work that goes into it, and how much attention they pay to detail. It's it's fantastic. And sleeping in the delivery van is pretty fun, too. <laughs> you're raised off the ground, and it's October, so it's pretty cold, but you're nice and toasty. Um, yeah, it's a good time. Let's, uh, we're, we're actually kind of, we're already kind of running long, but we're going to 
edit this down a bit. There's piece already missing, so that's fine. Um, but let's get political. Let's let's let's. Are we gonna go there? Are we doing this? Yeah, you know, in two weeks it might not be as relevant. So sure, we can always throw it away. You know, so, yeah, yeah. It's better to get it out now. So, um, hey, do you know what I want to do? What do you want to do, Chris? I want to make Toronto the uh, computer hardware production center of the world. That's a great idea. How are you going to do that? Well, I'm not entirely sure. And I know okay. we've got some big hurdles, um, predominantly China um, and Taiwan, which is or isn't part of China, depending on how you split that. Um, but uh, I think we can do it. Um, I think the first thing we need to do is just decide we're going to do it. I think that's a really good first step. Setting goals is pretty important. I would agree. <laughs> I'm a little cynical. Um what you might not have heard, dear listener, although I would beg to question what you've been doing for the past week and a half, if you haven't, would be that some counselors, bless their souls, have decided that they want to make Toronto the craft brewing capital of, is it the world or North America? I think it's the world. I think they said world. I, that's, that's just getting... Well, I mean, to be fair, the craft brewing capital of the world right now is in North America. So if we were to take the North American title, we would by proxy take the world title. Um, so I guess I'll give them that. Sorry, I was going to get I was going to nitpick on that, but I'm not. I'm not. Uh, do you want to do you want to do the, the tech on this? Fill in the, the story. Yeah, sure thing. So um, very recently, Councillor Layton and Councillor Perks had both announced that uh, they believe that Toronto could be the craft beer capital of the world and that they wanted to sort of lead the charge in uh, in raising this as an action item at council and getting the rest of Toronto City Council on board for, for us to get there. Um, what wasn't raised at council was uh, were, I think, very many ideas around how we could, how we could actually make that happen. Uh, but I think the, the next step or the takeaway was really just to get council's alignment um, on setting that as a goal for ourselves as a city and is creating a, a task force um, to get there. And I, th I think it went over well. That just happened this past week. Uh, do you know anything else about where, where it actually landed at the end of council, the council meeting? Um, yeah, uh, I did. I, I thought. I don't know. I got the link you sent me. I, I think thought, it was approved. I think it was approved. Item. Yeah. And yeah. I think, I think it was like nearly unanimous. Like I think Mamaliti was the only one who objected. Yes, you're right. Mamaliti was the only, only one who objected to that. I mean, um, cause it's beer. So, you know, yeah, the, other, a, the other, the other main nice detractor. Tool. People you, love craft beer. If you use the words craft beer in, uh, I think recent, um, Anytime it's come up in the press recently, any articles relating to beer or craft beer seem to get a lot of traffic and a lot of impressions. And so um, that'll be great for their, for their numbers. Um, but it, it'll, it'll be interesting to see if anything actually is, is made of this because there's a long way to go, I think, for Toronto to become the craft beer capital of the world or of North America or of the country the country <laughs> fair yeah um there are all kinds of issues and there's all kinds of red tape 
at uh, at Toronto City Hall and with um, particularly zoning, I think is one of the, the biggest barriers and issues for ter- Toronto um, breweries really taking off in a way they're able to. And, and when I say that, I mean one of the biggest issues that uh, the Toronto breweries face that, that's actually within the control of um, municipal politics. I think some of our, our barriers are a lot larger than that, and that really relates to um, beverage alcohol regulation in Ontario. Yep. Um, I was, yeah. I was going to point out that I would, you know, posit that retail would probably be the biggest barrier. But as you note, um, as far as Toronto is concerned, um, zoning is an issue that they deal with. And so they could do that. My Here's my thing. Okay. So my cynical, um, obviously um, humorous uh, analogy at the beginning uh, applies here because I bet um, Councillor Layton drinks craft beer. I'm not so sure about perks, um, but uh, I bet he's at least, you know, he's, yeah, I bet he's in the, in the, in the zone. Um, by the way, Councillor Layton, Councillor Perks, if either of you are listening right now, I'm very impressed. And uh, I, I would invite you to uh, reply to this directly um, to me. You can hit me on Twitter at, at Chris Schreier. I don't know why I keep doing this. I feel like I'm like running a commercial, but hit me on Twitter. We'll talk. Sounds a little like you are. I've also extended an open invite to, uh, to both Councillor Layton, Councillor Perks, as well as my own councillor, Mary Margaret McMahon, and the councillor in which our, our brewery uh, is located. So Councillor Paula Fletcher, um, to have any or all of them attend um, just a regular Saturday at the brewery and be happy to take them through a tour and talk about some of the municipal issues we faced uh, in getting up and running and even some of the, the issues we continue to face today. But so this is my thing exactly. Um, I think it's great that there's goodwill and that they want to do something. Uh, my suspicion is that when it comes to the difficulties uh, that would I- inhibit Toronto from becoming the craft beer capital of the world, uh, they probably wouldn't know their ass from their elbow. And they really need to reach out here. Um, and so it's great that they've done this goodwill offer, but now they need to back it up by actually sitting down with um, – I would even like to say a wide cross section of the craft brewing uh, scene. So, you know, easy to reach out to the Ontario craft brewers. And certainly they've been, they've had skin in the game for a long time. They know a lot of the issues and that's good. But, uh, you know, there are definitely people, I think, uh, who probably have some unique perspectives. Um, I think of, of course, our, our friend Jason over at NDL House who, uh, it would, it would be fair to say is opinionated. <laughs> and uh, he's the kind of guy I think that could maybe be a, a real asset in uh, this sort of a process. So uh, I think it's great that they've made this step forward. I really doubt that they, I doubt that they even have a concept of what they've proposed um, with, with this statement. It's just sort of a nice thing to say, because as you say, craft beer, it's hot and you can attract some votes that way. Um, I guess we don't have to worry about votes for a while, but you can, you can attract some goodwill that way. Um, even if you have no idea how you might actually execute your plan. So, uh, I think, I think now's the time they can reach it and it would be great. I know it's funny actually. So, uh, you know, obviously in the beach, our, our, um, our counselors, Mary Margaret McMahon as well. And, uh, she's certainly been, um, very good to work with. I I know a couple of really successful stories of people reaching out to her. So that bodes well. And I, I also, I know that's, she's your counselor where you guys live. And, uh, I've seen her actually at Kaylee cottage, um, which bodes well and great place for craft beer. Um, 
So, uh, yeah, hopefully they, they do. I, I would love to, if they take you up on the offer, I want you to tell me when, maybe don't actually, maybe I wouldn't be the best person to have at the brewery <laughs> when the, when the politicians roll in, but it would be fantastic if, if you did, if you felt that you could collar me sufficiently, I promise I'll be on good behavior. Um, cause I think it'd be fascinating to be a fly on the wall of that conversation and see how they reach out and what they come to. Cause it's, uh, it's a, that's a whole can of worms. Like mm-hmm. you say. It certainly is. And to be fair, I hadn't acknowledged this, but Mary Margaret's been to the brewery on a, a couple of occasions and she's actually been a really great supporter of, of what we're doing. Um, she's made every effort to um, choose local beer and to partner with us on various events that she's, uh, she's held and actually just casually attend the brewery when she's out and about with her, with her husband or with other, um, other friends. And so we've seen her, Quite a few times. Uh, same thing with Paul Fletcher, uh, but specifically on the topic of Toronto becoming the craft beer capital of the world and some of the work that the city would be able to do to help foster that, um, we haven't actually had a lot of those conversations with uh, with either of the councillors, and especially not with uh, Councillor Layton or Councillor Perks. Um, but it was a fun process building a brewery, and there's all kinds of roadblocks that you encounter along the way. Um, that are that are sort of just really unnecessary red tape uh, and that are related to related to zoning that could be easy fixes. And so I guess what I see is that the action item um, that was raised at council was adopted. And so it sounds like the next steps on this are for, um, for I guess, a task force to get together and uh, look at ways for establishing a, a craft beer culinary trail or a, an ale trail sort of thing throughout Toronto. And then the other, uh, I guess, major initiative that looks like it may come out of it is just establishing ways to help reduce barriers for um, creating new breweries or creating new beer manufacturing facilities in the city. And I would have all kinds of great feedback to uh, to feed into that. So I'll be looking for ways to do that. It sounds like a very nice idea and it may be quite a bit of a, a lofty goal considering that our biggest challenges are really around... Um, the, the regulatory retail environment. Um, but there, there are definitely little things that can be done um, within the city of Toronto and within municipal politics to, to help improve um, the situation for small breweries who want to get started in one of the largest markets in North America. You know what I think would be fantastic? And uh, I, I'm, you know, this is wishful thinking, I think. Um, I mean, it'd be great if council got on board and was game to help out with zoning bylaws and stuff like that. But I think it'd be amazing if Toronto city councillors through this process could reach out to small brewers and learn a bit more about what's been tabled in terms of provincial legislation and the, uh, you know, sort of quote unquote loosening of uh, beer sales in the province. And so, I, I mean, obviously I'm on record as thinking that this is stupid and a terrible solution. And I think a lot of the optimism that people have coming out of it is pie in the sky kind of stuff. And we're, I mean, to be as bitter and cynical as I am, we're screwed for at least 10 to 12 years unless we elect a different government who will come in and sort of slash and burn everything, which might also not be the right solution. But it would be very interesting, I think, if uh, through, you know, not the kind of discourse that I prefer, but measured, you know, sort of calm discourse, some counselors and maybe most counselors could be brought on board uh, 
to understand that the maybe the biggest barrier is the retail environment and that while they can't directly impact that through legislation of their own, they could certainly become advocates at the provincial level. Um, MPs or MPPs, pardon me, uh, you know, they, they listen to con- uh, their, their voters, their constituents, con- constituents, that's a tough word too. But uh, certainly if a, if a counselor uh, points out that they, they have heard widely from their people, that this is a problem. And particularly if it's a counselor who's maybe done a lot of homework and done a lot of the, the sort of, you know, rubber to the ground kind of looking into breweries and meeting with people that, that might actually have a lot of sway and, uh, that could be hope <laughs> cause for optimism. But, uh, again, I think that's wishful thinking. I think they want to sort of slap each other on the back and take some cool photos, pulling beer out of tap room handles. But, that's again just bitter cynical thought. So, I noted and in, in the show notes, uh, one of the problems, and again this is a bit more municipal, uh, was a, a brewery story out of uh, Virginia, where a brewery wanted to open not just a, a, a brewery and tap room, but they wanted to open a proper farm brewery mm-hmm. that uh, was going to grow, you know, barley. Probably not all the barley they needed, but certainly was going to grow barley for the the beers and hops and you know adjunct ingredients and stuff. But uh, it was shut down by um, local opposition. And uh, the main argument seemed to be um, increased traffic on the road, <laughs> which is funny. It's saying you don't want tourism, but that's neither here nor there. And also the possibility for intoxication, which of course does come from uh, breweries. And as well, they noted that there's a winery in the area where intoxication had become a problem. But it was, uh, it was shut down. Now, it was shut down because the owner or the, the main partner or whoever in the organization, uh, decided to pull it, saw enough opposition that they said, we're not going to fight this. We're just going to, this isn't the right place. This isn't the right time. We're going to pull back, reassess, and, uh, you know, try again in a different spot. But uh, to me, reading this story, and with sort of this craft beer capital of the world thing, it's insane, but it's also something that breweries here deal with um, and bars. Maybe, I don't know, because I probably have more experience in bars than breweries. I'm familiar with it uh, through the bar context. But uh, this idea of, it's not even like nimbyism. It's just people are like, I just don't want that near me. Uh, it's, 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 they, they, they feel inconvenienced or whatever. And it's a real problem. Um, and, and that is something city council could, could kind of work to amend where, you know, the individual has, I don't want to say less sway because, you know, I dig democracy, but, uh, it's just, it's amazing what like three really loud, obnoxious people can do in terms of completely hobbling a really viable, valuable community business. Just my thinking. Did you guys have any problems like zoning or neighbors? You don't have to point fingers at neighbors, but you know what I mean? That sort of thing. Yeah, I'm not totally sure I wanted to go there in the podcast, but I have a pretty hot burning issue right now that is exactly exactly what you're describing. Um, maybe I'll just talk freely about it, then we can talk about how to edit it as we go. Sure. Um, so as we... As we decided to build it, or when we decided to, to build a brewery on Wagstaff, um, we recognize that the brewery is, a, Wagstaff is essentially, even though it's called Wagstaff Drive, it's really 
um, in all senses of the world, a, a lane way. Like we, we're in people's backyards. And for those who haven't been to the brewery, um, the best way to describe it is, is, a, is really a laneway. Like our, our brewery is steps from people's back parking. Um, and you, I could throw a, a baseball into, into their windows. Like we're just that close and I can't throw a baseball very far. Um, yeah. And so when we initially start set out to build a brewery on Wagstaff, we, we recognized that we were quite close to people's homes and that not everybody is necessarily as keen for a craft brewery to be right in their backyards as, as we may be. Uh, and so we went door to door, knocked on doors, gave out our, our business cards, gave out our cell phone numbers and just let neighbors know what we were doing, wanted them to hear it first from us. Um, I made up some laminated no parking signs and gave it out to every single neighbor who backed onto Wagstaff, um, just in recognizing that there's, go- there's going to be additional traffic into the laneway and uh, that not everyone would necessarily appreciate it. So trying to just be a good neighbor right off the bat and be conscious of that. And we've, we've been really welcomed with open arms. We threw an open house in the brewery uh, when we took over the lease last February um, it was just a big, gigantic warehouse, basically, that had been untouched for many, many years, um, just to show off our, our, I guess, pre-construction space before we broke ground. And we were welcomed with open arms. We expected about four, five, six hundred people over the course of six hours, and we ended up finishing the day with about 1,600 people coming through the brewery that day. And we were completely overwhelmed by the support we had received from the neighbors, because although the beer community came out at large, it was really the the neighbors. Like, at one point, we had quadruple parked strollers at the front door and uh, you really sort of needed to navigate to get through all the, the stroller parking which was pretty incredible because it, it said to us that we were we were really being welcomed by the neighborhood and we felt like that would be really what was, would be sustainable for our business and so we've been very fortunate to be welcomed in that way but just recently since we've been doing these pop-up shops on the weekends at the brewery um, there are people there at any given time we'll have 50 60 70 people in the brewery um, usually about 10 or 12 kids running around. And it's truly those families that are coming back. So we have the garage door wide open and sort of voices are carrying out into the laneway. And for the immediate neighbors who have been really enjoying pretty much silence for the past number of years because the brewery had been an abandoned building, um, it really does sound like there's some vibrant community um, engagement and community interaction. It's really sort of become a, a hub for the neighborhood uh, and that, that those voices and the sound of dogs and kids and people talking, in fairness, is carrying into their backyards. And so we've started to receive some complaints from the, the very immediate neighbors. And um, these are the very same people who welcomed us with open arms. But now their backyard Saturdays are a little noisier than what they had been last year and in previous summers. And so it's an issue we're dealing with um, in conjunction with the, the counselor. But it's a tricky one because... On one hand, we're revitalizing a laneway and we're, we've just created 10 jobs in three months. And these are good manufacturing jobs. And the use of the building was intended to be a manufacturing use. And I know condo proposals had been rejected and rejected and rejected um, on, on the site on which we're, we're on. And the, the Office of Economic Development in the city is overjoyed that we've sort of revitalized the building within its indi- in intentional use which is a manufacturing use um, but it's a struggle because we we sort of created um, something that's not just sort of Monday to Friday nine to five manufacturing but it it's also a bit of a community hub 
And with the tap room, it's it's a vibrant tap room and there are people there and we're creating some life on the laneway that hadn't really been there previously, which means additional traffic and additional noise um, that's well within the bylaws, but it it can still be disturbing. And so I can sort of see it from both sides of the coin, but it's uh, it's very similar to the article that, uh, that you shared with me in the story you're, you're talking about, Chris. So let me just say, for one, Mandy, beautifully said, because you have neighbors and you want to be a good neighbor. And I dig that. I understand that completely. Um, so this has nothing to do with what Mandy's saying. This is just what I'm saying. And I'm going to allude to another situation, not dissimilar, but let me bring all you listeners at home up to speed here. You're going to go, you know what? You're going to buy a house. Okay, cool. You're going to get a building inspection. I hope if you don't get a building inspection, we can just end this conversation right now. If you're buying a house without a building inspection, eh, you're on your own. You're going to get a building inspection. You're going to have, you know, they're going to check, you know, knob and tube, or is it like breakers, you know, plaster and lath on the wall. You got drywall. What's the foundation? God help you. If you got a brick foundation, you know, these, these are helpful things. You're going to spend a bit of money on figuring it costs a bit of money, but it's important. Here's something that doesn't cost money. Find out who your neighbors are. Find out if there's, say, you know, a train track right behind your backyard fence or uh, a strip club right across the road or a large industrial building zoned for manufacturing directly behind your house. Do you want to know why your house was cheaper than the one on the other side of the same road that you live on? It's because you back onto a laneway that has an industrial building on it. That, that isn't ideal to most homeowners. If you like breweries, you might have just lucked out because you got one of the best ones in the city in your backyard. So that when you're having your backyard party, you actually don't have to host. You can just throw open the gate and walk across the laneway. That's neither here nor there. These are things that as a homeowner, you should be doing. The, the connection that I have to this is if you buy a condo and it's above a bar, you probably need to be aware that it's going to be a bit noisy some of the time. Yep, there are bylaws. And so at 11 o'clock, you've got to shut down all that noise. There's a, a, a real hard ceiling on, on sound. And believe me, I've seen the people with the little meters standing out on the sidewalk gauging it. But at, say, 8.30 on a Tuesday night, if you're calling, complaining about the sound coming from the bar that has existed since like way before you bought the condo directly above it, you know what? Go f*** yourself because you knew it was there. And if you didn't, that was your own damn fault. Maybe you bought the place blind. I don't know. Maybe you're an idiot, but that's just what I'm saying. You guys, I think it's great. You're reaching out to the neighbors and, and, and really trying to play nice. And that's good. Um, I would say I would play it different. I wouldn't. If I was the business owner like you guys, I would be bending over backwards to keep everybody happy. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I get really pissed off when I hear people. And again, I mean, this the story out of Virginia where, like you say, you created 10 good jobs. Like, And these aren't like, like you know, minimum wage, part-time jobs. These are solid. These are jobs that people can live off of. Um, 10 jobs in three months. That's amazing. And you'll continue to grow. This, this, this is a business that we want to support. Manufacturing in Ontario is down. Manufacturing in Ontario is something we can actually do. We can do high-end manufacturing. Um, I was joking about the making Toronto the computer uh, hardware capital, but there's no reason that we couldn't be a high-end manufacturing hub. 
we have skilled labor. We have people who are able to get trained in skills if they don't have it. We have, you know, great technology. Brewing maybe isn't quite making like wind farm components, but it's, it's definitely, it, this is, you know, very skilled, uh, uh, um, production stuff. It's important. And, and I, I think people need to support it. And so again, this idea, you know, you bought a place that backs onto somewhere that actually does what it's supposed to do. You know what, as far as I'm concerned, as far as Chris Schreier, TorontoBeerBlog.com is concerned, boo-hoo, you know, <laughs> you either didn't do your homework or you did and you ignored it. So it's your fault. Not left field breweries. <laughs> yeah, like like I said, I could see it from from both sides of the coin. The building was abandoned. The building was abandoned before we took it over. Many of the neighbors have lived there for 25, 30 years. Uh, and it was previously a Monday to Friday, nine to five manufacturing operation. The company that was in there before us that occupied the space for the, the longest period of time manufactured roofing and like very specialized roofing. And so I'm sure it was noisy during the day, um, Monday to Friday, but on a Saturday afternoon when you've invested all kinds of money in your beautiful backyard and you want to have your family over for a barbecue, you expect it to sound a certain way because that's how it's always been. Um, and so I can understand how our operation might be disruptive, but at the same time, um, we're not doing anything we're not really allowed to be doing. And we're, like you said, we're creating good jobs. Um, food and beverage manufacturing is one of the most important industry sectors to the city of Toronto. Like Toronto is a food and beverage manufacturing hub and one of the the largest industries in North America, like next to Chicago, New York, Los Angeles. Toronto is a center of food and beverage manufacturing. It's one of the largest industries. And so I think that's why the councillors have really gotten behind it in the way that they have is because they recognize that. In our talks with the the Office of Economic Development in the city of Toronto, they really recognize what we're doing in other businesses like us um, as a su- success story in the city because they because they denied those condo applications for so long and they, they wanted the building to remain as a manufacturing use. And we were able to actually move in and and make it so, that's a real success story in their books. And so it's it's going to be interesting over the next little while just to sort of find a happy happy medium between that that as a success story and also the disruption or the perceived disruption that uh, the neighbors are claiming and just trying to try to play nice and make sure everybody's happy because we're we're not there with an intention to piss people off or ruin their lives. Um and many of the, the other immediate neighbors are quite happy that there's now a community hub and they can hang around uh, with their neighbors and have a beer or two on a Saturday afternoon while their, their kids play together or sleep in the strollers in the brewery that's perceived to be too loud. Like, it, it's really, really interesting and it's going to be fascinating to watch it play out. Um, but it, it's very much like the story you described. Uh, I, we're kind of out of show notes. You know what I was going to talk about earlier? Totally okay. randomly, totally randomly, nothing to do with beer. This might not even make it to the final cut. We'll have to see. But did you see this thing online about what this week is from the 10th to the 19th? I did not. Okay, it's so trippy. And it's because I love numbers and I love especially patterns that I love this. Every day from... It's a palindrome. Okay? It's a numerical palindrome. I did see this. If you do month, day, year, which I actually dislike. So I don't know why I'm so excited about the numerical palindrome here because uh, it's, it's you know, utilizing a, a dating system I dislike. I, I'm a day, month, year kind of guy. Likewise, month always has to be in the middle. 
it's just we're working it up. Just makes sense. <laughs> like, makes sense the other way. I don't get it. We don't go ten column, unit column, hundred column. No, we go unit ten, hundred thousand, so on and so forth. But why? Why do we omit this logic with dates? But anyway, I digress. Because in North America we do use <laughs> month, day, year for better or worse. Yes, from the 11th. I think it's just a Canadian thing, isn't it? No. I think in the U.S. they tend to have the, the month in the middle. No, because yeah. when was September 11th? It was 9-11. They go month, day, two. I think that just sounds catchy. I think generally, I may be wrong, but I think generally the Americans put the date in the middle. If you're an American and you're listening, <laughs> I'm at Chris Schreier. No, but seriously, if you're an American, let us know. How do you do it? Do you do month, day, year, or day, month, year? Or, like, I don't know, maybe you go year, month, day. That I could handle year, month, day. At least it follows the same logic, but in reverse. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me, too. I could deal with that. But anyway, yeah, so we're in, we're in palindrome time. Um, that hasn't happened since, I guess, April 2014. Um, and, of course, it'll happen in June 2016. Actually, it's not that big of a deal. It's not I was, that unique, actually. <laughs> yeah, it actually pretty much happens every year, I think. Uh, well, at, mm. Someone was just paying attention today. Yeah, I guess that's what it was. Hey, Mandy, thanks for doing this. Thank you. This has been a lot of fun. I'm glad you think it's been fun. I think it's been fun, too. I can't wait to edit this up and hear how it sounds. It's going to be dope. And uh, I think that's it. This will be the out. Uh Thanks for listening, Toronto. This is the first ever Toronto Beer Podcast. Talk to you soon.